Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. And this week's words are summer camp, dietary, crisper, yes again, and surprise! (laughs) Sweet. Wait, Laura, remember that one week where I told you I wanted us to do that thing where we're like, this is the, these are the questions we're going to answer. I I want us to do that. I want us to do that thing. We have to say like, this week we're going to tell you. How about how about I do it? Because even though I haven't seen the stories yet, spoilers, if you're new to the <laughs> podcast, Laura reads the stories and then I just get to see them in the last second. So it's more fun because otherwise I would overthink things. <laughs> no, it's the theme of the podcast. Um, so, okay. Okay. <laughs> Point being, I want to come up with the questions, even though it makes no sense that I should do so. Okay, go for it. This week, we're going to tell you, we're going to talk to you about the link between swimming, s'mores, summer camp. And why we have a measles outbreak. We're going to tell you what dietary factors increase your risk for cancer. We are going to let you know how scientists are modifying viruses with CRISPR to fight superbugs. And we're going to give you the results of a new asthma study from Los Angeles. Surprise! (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) I'm not sure what's surprising. That's that's coming (laughs) later. Yes. All right. You ready for our first article? Uh, Sure. Okay, our first article comes from Reuters. Is that how you say that word? Reuters. 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 Uh, And it's swimming, s'mores, and shots. Camps harden vaccine rules in the U.S. Measles outbreaks. So this is an article talking about how summer camps this year are kind of enforcing uh, more... Uh, vaccinations than they have in the past because of the recent uh, measles outbreak. They interview a camp um, from that's in New York, which uh, makes sense because the majority of the measles outbreaks have happened in New York. And um, some of these camps have kids from very young ages, including um, as young as three-year-olds, which are too young to receive the second dose of the MMR. So they are... Um, they are people who have reached out to their local um, public health officials and the CDC to try to get some guidance about what they should do. And um, it's being recommended that because of um, the outbreaks to prevent the further spread, that they um, enforce the rules of the vaccinations. I just found this like super interesting because um, I have volunteered at a camp for kids with like special needs and they exceedingly so uh, require that um, everybody be vaccinated. Um, And that's because the um, camp serves uh, students who are medically uh, fragile. So, um, so that in, um, in particular, you can't have any kind of sickness or illness or symptoms of anything um, and still attend the camp, and they're very strict about the vaccinations. And I hadn't thought about how that kind of correlates to just like regular camps, like your band camp, your theater camp, your sports camps, all those things are happening in the context of like this measles outbreak where kids are going to be congregating in areas they haven't in the past, interacting with students that they might not have had interaction with. Um, and so uh, the guy that was interviewed said that he was willing to lose some um, business over people who had objections for religious or philosophical reasons for not vaccinating their kids, but they would not be allowed to participate at his camps. Yeah, so because think about was... the business ramification of a, of a measles outbreak in the camp. I mean, even if it's just purely Absolutely. a business decision, the PR around being like the measles camp is way worse than a couple upset kids, no matter how you feel about it. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of? 
is those cruise ships where they're in between regulations for different countries because they're in international waters and people don't realize but once you're a certain distance from wherever you depart from that cruise ships mm-hmm. sometimes have like really low standards for safety and things like that not to like start an uproar mm-hmm. it depends on the cruise ship blah 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 but there have been some wonky cruise ship health stories and i hope we get one this summer just so we can talk about it on the podcast but i mean i hope everyone's fine but you know like News cycle being what it is, I'll be pleased if there's a cruise ship story. Hint, 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 hint. Okay. So, and they're saying this, it's like the article says, <laughs> some camps face no regulation at all. New York State Department of Health regulates sleepaway and day camps that offer multiple activities, but state laws exempt camps that focus on a single activity, like, like you said, theater, music, or a single sport. So it's like a weird, like the camps in some ways are like up to their own devices on, on what to do, which I think is just like, Mm -hmm. like, like funny in a serious way in the way that like, it's kind of funny that an entire cruise ship can get really sick, but also like, obviously that's very serious. So Right. It's just one of those things that like no one knows about. Like no one, no one, no one's talking you don't about think summer about camp it. regulations. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is important. I think this is obvious. I think everyone listening should uh, check online to make sure that you don't need to talk to your doctor about your measles vaccination, especially if you are of a middle, a middle age, shall we say. If, if you're no longer 18, you might want to just make sure you got it. And uh, make sure you got the second one and make sure you like because some people now have to do like a booster or something. I don't even know. We talked about it on a previous issue, mm-hmm. but I have forgotten. And spoilers, I'm wicked sleep deprived. What's our next story? <laughs> so our next story comes from ABC News and it's seven dietary factors that may increase your risk of cancer. So there was a study that was published in the JNCI uh, Cancer Spectrum Medical Journal that looked at um, 80,000 new cancer cases that were associated with low grain intake, low dairy intake, high intake of processed meat and red meat, low fruit and vegetable intake, and high intake of sugary beverages. And in the new cases represented about about 5.2% of total cancer reported. Um and it's a similar to the percentages of cancer cases that were linked to alcohol consumption, approximately 4 to 6%. Um, so it's looking at how our dietary um, intake can kind of impact our um, susceptibility to cancer. Not saying that those uh, types of foods or those lack of foods necessarily cause cancer, but um, can have an impact that way. So it was just talking about how they um, came up with it. So they crunched a lot of data and came up with these things. None of these are necessarily uh, revolutionary um, ideas to our bad patienters. Uh, you should we, know all like this already. These types yeah. of dietaries. <laughs> we, folks, we have been through this with you. All right, we're leading you to the water. It's up to you. It's up to you to drink. So yeah. So um, your diet does have an impact. Uh, so eat eat healthy. Uh, eat your vegetables. Diet and exercise. More research is required. So that you would want <laughs> to know. You Robin. know, what? we need to also add to that is uh, correlation is not causation. We can associate more cancers with these types of diets, but this study does not conclusively prove that there is a one to one direct causal link. But still, still, what is it that they listed? Low whole grain intake. Low dairy intake. Oh, that's weird. We should talk about that. High intake of processed meats and red meat. 
low fruit and vegetable intake and high intake of sugary beverages. So, okay. I think sugary beverages, we've been over a million times. Produce, I've yelled about produce. Dear people that run hotels, I need fruit. Uh, do you remember the episode where I realized that red meat was like lamb and stuff? Like any meat that's like reddish when raw, because I thought red meat was just beef, and then like it turns out it's a bunch of other things. That was fun. I know, your world was thoroughly rocked. <laughs> yeah, like pork, it's the other white meat. No, it turns out it's absolutely no, it's not. not. It's the opposite <laughs> of that. It's not the other white meat. It's not a white meat at all. <sighs> Someone needs to go back. That's like, that. like, I cannot be blamed. Like, yes, it was like idiotic that I didn't know that, but like, I blame the pork industry. All right. Okay. So you, you were marketed correctly. Yeah, exactly. I was the target audience and the message sunk in and I feel betrayed. But my real question for you <laughs> is, how do you feel about the correlation of a low dairy intake with higher rates of cancer? A low dairy intake? Maybe that just means that if you're not like some of these things are like, depending on who you ask, like healthy foods. Mm-hmm. Dairy is controversial, but it's not unhealthy in the way that like alcohol, sugar, you know, and trans fats are like not always amazing for you. Alcohol in small doses, right. but most people drink too much. So most people cannot be trusted to like consume a healthy amount of alcohol is like the truth of it. But, but point being, I'm very surprised that lo- like that it's like they're basically the correlation is if you don't eat enough dairy, you have a higher rate of cancer. I find that shocking. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, so even when you think you're doing well, sometimes you can still be fucking up. I mean, listen, (laughs) I just want to tell you that my physical form is ingesting large amounts of dairy, but I always kind of thought that that wasn't great. Or I thought it was okay, but probably like maybe not ideal, you know. But no, I eat like a ton. Mm -hmm. Cottage cheese, yogurt, I drink a gallon of milk a week. I eat regular cheese. I know. I know. It's a lot of milk. I love milk. I can't help it. I I had two cups already today. It's so delicious. No one agrees with me. I know. It's fine. Well, it's okay. Well, people who don't eat dairy, now you know. Now you know there's a correlation. (laughs) There's a correlation. There's a definite, maybe, possibly connection. There could be a connection with some data from 2015, okay, which may or may not be causal. No, but I mean, like, I don't know. The correlation (laughs) thing is like, you want to take it, you want to, like, look at it, right? Because you got to realize, like, some of this stuff. More research is required. Yeah. You know, alcohol is not actually on this list, but we know. It's not. Yeah. But it is referenced. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. One drink for women, two drinks for men is what's in my head is like the last story that we did talking about alcohol was those were like the, Mm -hmm. do you not want to have a higher risk for cancer? That's like your max. But, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that like alcohol is even neutral. Like, I, I don't know. I my hunch is that, like, wine seems possibly good in small amounts. I'm skeptical about all the rest of it. Um, all right, Laura, what's our next story? Are we we're like, are we doing rapid fire forever now? I feel like we are. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Audience, this Absolutely. is what we've decided and- that you like. Based on zero emails from our audience in recent weeks, we've decided you need us <laughs> to speed this up. <laughs> no, also, it's like the summer, and we're living our best lives, right? And so there's only so much information that we can give to you plus like do you think anyone has changed a habit based on if you have changed a habit based on listening to bad patient (laughs) and you send me an email to hello at the bad patient.com i do not know what i will do for you but i will do something for you okay (laughs) next story all right so our next story comes from national public radio and scientists modify viruses with crispr to create new weapon against superbugs so this is looking at how they're using um 
CRISPR to genetically modify um, viruses in order to combat um, superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. So, like, we're creating, we use antibiotics as kind of a kill-all kind of thing, where it takes out all all um, bacteria, good, bad, or indifferent, and it is causing um, some bacteria to build resistance to different um uh, antibiotics and there aren't really a whole lot of other options so like it can get really bad really quickly and so there it's a thing scientists are very concerned about so what, what they're able to use with CRISPR is that they are very selectively modifying genes in a virus to target a particular bacteria so it's not just the all bacteria it's designed for um for very particular I thought it was very interesting in this article they talked about how they're there are possibly ramifications of this that we might have unintended um, consequences by modifying viruses oh, and not no. really knowing, like, what it's going to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, NPR just went, like, sci-fi horror. <laughs> I just went, like, I don't know about you, about but it. when you said that, my mind flew right to zombie apocalypse. Yes. So this is how the zombie apocalypse happens. It's mm-hmm. because we're trying to prevent superbugs. Um, but they're talking about how there um, are dangers, and this is just the first test to aim primarily to make sure that the CRISPR-modified phages are safe. And I just think it's super exciting that they interviewed multiple people whose study of research is phage. And I just feel like that is super exciting for me for a couple of reasons. I really like saying the word, and also it makes me think of Star Trek Voyager, where <laughs> the um, in the series they... Uh, dealt with the people who were dealing with a disease that they call the phage, and it caused them to have to, like, steal organs from other aliens, and so then their appearance was very hodgepodgey with, like, because they did, like, skin grafts from, like, 12 different aliens, oh, and it I think was, I remember like, slightly terrifying as a child. Yeah, so... Here, I would like um, to clarify that I don't really watch Star Trek, and Laura does, so you can... <laughs> everyone take that for but what I, like, it is. But but I made you watch a, a, yes. a few episodes, and I yes. think that was like one of the yes. earlier uh, seasons. So yeah, so you watched that. It was very freaky. And so you're. It was like Frankenstein. Yeah. If Frankenstein was made out of like six different animals, it was very. It was not. Mm-hmm. And they there there was like not a plastic surgeon involved. Like there was no cosmetic considerations like taken into account. No, maybe I they should were be just, saying aesthetic. they were just yeah, just they were weird. just trying to survive. I like how the research. So they were not pretty people. Indeed not. And I I like that the research here says in some like there's a quote from this guy saying that in some ways this is, quote, a bit like running before you can walk. It's hard to improve something without knowing about how the thing you're trying to improve works, meaning that they're genetically modifying these bacteriophages, but they don't exactly understand what that will do, as you said. And then they just go on to be like, and the next study will involve 30 patients, 20 of them will get the engineered phage cocktail, and 10 of them will get a placebo. The researchers will then follow the volunteers conducting extensive tests of their blood and urine to see if the approach is safe and if it affects levels of E. coli, bacteria, in their urinary tracts. Wait a minute. What happened to running before we can walk? Like, are we not like, – like, like, we're worried, but, like, we're not that worried, you know? Yeah. It's – I mean, it's it's concerning, but we, we got this. Yeah. <laughs> you can trust us. Yeah. Um, I also think we need to remind our listeners who, Laura, may not be as CRISPR obsessed as you and I, that CRISPR is just a technology, it's a tool that is used for editing genomes. So it's 
It has a lot of potential mm-hmm. implications, and it stands for, and trust me, I'm excited to say this, clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic re- repeats, which are, according to the Broad Institute, the hallmark of a bacterial defense system that forms the basis for CRISPR genome editing technology. That was a lot of words. Duh. That was a lot of words. So CRISPR basically is like is like a little arts and crafts scrapbooking kit for your genes. So it's very exciting because uh, we could, if we could change things, we could like, we could alter the course of certain infectious diseases. We could help people whose medical maladies are caused by genetic defects. We could do all sorts of things. But right now, we're like in the infancy of this technology. So it's a lot of like, it's a lot of like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then someone's like, I blew, I blew up a bridge. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, it's like when they first discovered dynamite. I'm sure it was like, hmm? What is this? And then all of a sudden people are blowing everything up. And then someone one day was like, listen, listen, we've lost a lot of limbs. We need to kind of like dynamite in this instance and not that instance. That's how I feel about CRISPR. Like right now we're just blowing up bridges and it's really fun to watch. But, you know, I also wonder, like, are they over? Like, I don't really have any context to understand how potentially dangerous or not dangerous this is. Like, I it just feels like the Wild West, which I love. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe the people who created CRISPR will one day have, like, a World Peace Prize, too, the same way that the guy who invited Mm. Dynamite, Nobel, created the Nobel Prizes. And then they (laughs) can thank us in their award speech for popularizing their technology. Absolutely. I actually definitely helped. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and I feel like we understand a lot more about CRISPR than we otherwise would as just, like, citizens, right? Absolutely. Citizens of the world, we know some stuff. Yep. We're up on our CRISPR news stories. Yes, because I'm obsessed. <laughs> and CRISPR is just such a great name. It's so good. It's so good. Marketing is on point. Yes. Good job, guys. All right. So what, why is this story a surprise? Because it is from uh, BGR, which I'm not sure if you are aware is Boy Genius Report. And the what? title of it is Surprise! Is this like some 12-year-old blog? <laughs> no. It's like a real thing. Boy Genius Report? Shut up in my Google News. Report? Report. That's, well, they have a yeah, cute logo. So, yeah. All right. Uh, and it's the title is Surprise When Los Angeles's Cleaned Up Its Air, Childhood Asthma Cases Dropped. So that's yeah. why it's Surprise. <laughs> I know. I don't so, know why we're never concerned about air quality as a society. Like, I've heard a lot of things. Like, in Portland, I swim in the river, and people are like, oh, my God, water quality. And when it's really, really smoky from wildfires, people are worried about air quality. But day to day, the number of times that someone expresses to me a concern about air quality is zero. And, like, air quality and their health even less. I mean, I think I had one, one like, massage therapist who had like terrible respiratory issues who has talked to me about how hard it is for him when people like smoke near the entryway to a building. But I mean, does this, does this parallel your experience at all? Like, do you ever hear people talking about air quality and health? But it's like so fun. Yes, but I would also contend, I don't know if I've heard anybody talk about water quality either. Although I do work for Wright State and um, they do send out like a report about the water because I think we use our own water in some way and so they have to like send mm. us uh, updates to tell us it's safe i assume that's what it says because i don't actually read the report i just assumed mm-hmm. if it didn't some of some of the scientists who work there would say like um this was not cool guys yeah so um i just just trusting i'm just trusting the peoples to read mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right that's fair. So this is based on a new study that was in JAMA, uh, and it JAMA concluded that kids 
JAMA, and it concluded that kids in LA exhibited elevated Stop. risks of developing asthma <laughs> when this um, city had a massive cloud of car exhaust. Um, so it's looking at the research, and it's using data from 1993 to 2014, and it points uh, to improved air quality uh, in levels of a number of communities of being the reason for the overall decrease in the number of asthma cases documented in the area by doctors. Hmm. So just kind of making that correlation of when we choose to do these things, it does have a positive impact on the public health that you might not be aware of because right. you're not developing a disease or right. an issue, a lifelong chronic disease or whatever. Um, it's kind of hard to like see that as like a win because you didn't have it before and now you still don't have it, but mm-hmm. it does have those um, impacts. So yeah. I thought it's that like, was a good story. Think of the children. Interestingly, I clicked through to the study, uh, which is called Association of Changes in Air Quality with Incident Asthma Asthma in Children in California, 1993 to 2014. So interestingly, they found that that ozone changes were not associated with changes in asthma incidents. So that's kind of like an interesting finding. But yeah, I like your point that we tend to... It's like once you're sick, then you're worried about it. But we don't really celebrate like, hey, I didn't get cancer this month. You know, God, like knock on wood. I feel like I've started using cancer as an example all the time. Like, ha, 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 like do this, like wash the apple so we don't get cancer. And now I'm like, I'm just saying the word cancer. And it's like in my mind all the time, like my body's going to start mutating cells because like the concept is there. That's not really how it works. But you know, like a little bit. That's that's definitely See? that's definitely not this how really, it works. This also really I concerns mean, me about like trickle down effects. Like I like whole like law of attraction thing. I mm, like I don't really know that that I put a lot of like stock. Like I think there is there is like there is scientific backing to positive thinking and like the brain body connection, but I mm-hmm. don't know that. I think that's like taking it one step too far. But but I just heard myself say that thing, and I realized like that that law of attraction has like trickled down and influenced me even though I didn't want it to. <sighs> what we need to know though, well I think I think okay, this. This is this is what I want the takeaway to be from this story. That just that we need to talk about air quality more. Like people are way more concerned that I swim in lakes and rivers and the possible health impact of that than they are of the air that we all breathe all day every day. No one is worried about that. Mm-hmm. No one's like, I got to stop driving mm-hmm. my car because I'm causing air pollution. No one says that to me ever. People say to me all the time, like, I just don't know. Like, I wouldn't swim in that river. And then, you know, like, we could get all into the implications of, like, sitting on your couch versus whatever. But, like, I mean, why don't why don't we talk about air quality? We need to talk about air quality. That's what I'm saying. Did you know that they have like big data graphs of the entire United States where they're color coded? You can be in like a red zone where like the pollution's really bad. Like the Rust Belt in the US is kind of a red zone for air quality. Sorry to tell you that. And and then like, you know, different places are a little bit better. I'm not going to tell you where. You can guess. I think EC, what's ECRI? I think they do those maps. Uh, mm-hmm. It's ECRI.org. Uh I use them as a source in a story once. I can't, I can't quite remember like exactly their thing. But the point, point being is there are actually like zones. Like it's not like air quality is not the same everywhere. And there are zones that are consistently better and consistently worse. And, and those things correlate with not only lung problems, but I think also like cardiovascular problems. So 
Um, we should just we should just do Laura a whole week. We should do a whole week of stories on cruise ships, and then we should do a whole week of stories on air quality. And if you wait like two months, okay. I'm gonna be like really fussy about air quality because like there's gonna be some California wildfire, and then and then I'm gonna have to wear a mask, and then I'll be really cranky. And so, yeah, catch me, catch me like mid July. I'll be there. I'll be there okay. with you. <laughs> All right. So, what's your current medical fascination? Um, my current medical fascination is that I want to somehow refute the sleep deprivation thing. You know how we like keep seeing those studies that are like, you really can't make up for sleep. Okay. If that's true, then why, then why do I like nap? Like, then why does your body fall asleep? Like, it just, I think I'm not ready to accept this piece of scientific evidence with which we have been presented. So I would like some evidence that, uh, makes it seem like maybe I can make up for sleep because like today, for example, I'm very tired. Okay. And uh, I don't feel like naps. No? Naps in the long term, I don't think like make up for it, but I think they can make you feel better. Yeah. Or maybe it's kind of like the damage is done and you can like get back 10% or something because there has to be, it can't be like mm. nothing, like nothing is possible. Um, that makes sense. But yeah, I'm just, so then I'm like, well, how much, like, what do I get back? Like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I have been spending a lot of time outside and not spending a lot of time reading the news lately. So I would like you to gently ease me into a current news story that involves health, but I would like to not be traumatized by whatever information you share. Go. Okay. Um, well, in that case, I will share that, um, I think the Senate is currently debating, um, and in a bipartisan way, um, a way to prevent uh, people who even have insurance to um, stop them from getting surprise medical bills. So, like, when Ooh. you go to the hospital and you are in, at a hospital that is in-network and then you're seen by a doctor that is out of network. Which that happens a lot. With, uh, um, that can leave you with ginormous bills that you had no idea. So, um I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, recently there's been a recent trend in the last couple of years where, like, news agencies will highlight a medical bill that's, like, tens of thousands of dollars, even though the person has insurance or did everything, quote, unquote, right. Um, and then we're, we're hit with a surprise bill at the end that they were not anticipating. So yeah. um, currently Congress is working on a way to try to prevent that from happening and kind of regulate those um, giant bills. So I think... That met your uh, request of gentle mm-hmm. health news. Yeah, no, I like that. Because the whole thing of like, you go to a hospital, you're like, do you take my insurance? And they say yes. And then they're like, oh, well, actually, like Bob, the anesthesiologist doesn't. So unfortunately, that's going to be $9,000. And I wish that was a joke number, but I think that's about right. So I don't know. The whole thing has gotten yeah. so, so out of hand well yeah no i do think that's probably the gentlest possible piece of health news i i cracked an eye at google news like several days this week and um yeah no it's been it's been uh, it's been a raw week for the news and that's all i want to say about it thank god we don't do a current events podcast i would just you would have to talk and i would like sit staring at the mic okay um that's enough bad patienting <laughs> This has been like an intermediate lightning round. We'll keep working on that. Um, you can rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get media. We suggest Apple Podcasts because it's easy. You can visit us online at thebadpatient.com. Uh, Laura, are you like tweeting 
Is our Twitter happening? Is that like a thing? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> at some point, we're going to do more with our Twitter, maybe. It is summer, so we'll see what we can do. And you can always email us your suggestions, your feedback to hello at thebadpatient.com. If you want to send us a voice memo, we will run your question on the air. So thanks. And until next time, we are Bad Patient. <laughs>